0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: You find yourself at episode 169 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where Nick, for some reason, I feel... Really, really old right now.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, you are really, really well, old. Well, yeah. Second, true. of course, it's because this week was Harry Potter's 20th anniversary. Of course, I was 8 years old. I will say this. After so many tests of, you know, what house do you belong in, and as you characteristics, I will say this. I am a Hufflepuff in the streets and a Slytherin in the sheets.
1: Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, yeah. <laughs> the invisible sheets. <laughs> well played. Thank well you. Well played. Thank you very much. I,
2: I enjoy that. 50 orgasms for Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's something you won't find on the Quidditch pitch either, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, wizard, wizard sex puns they never get old well I'm surprised we don't get
1: more of them in <laughs> the magicians
2: actually because <laughs> 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 we're friends with people that were on that show yeah. so it's like you know we're messaging them and stuff like that we, should, yeah. we, don't, get, we don't get a lot of them so it's kind of a uh, Kind of, kind of funny, a little bit odd as well. But I am the Merc with One Arm, Nick Bottega, alongside always. I, I'm
1: James with them. And it's just crazy to think that it was 20 years ago. When right. I saw that pop up, I'm like, get the hell out of here. Right. I looked it up. I'm like, are you kidding it me? Was, it's been
2: 20 years. Well, It was one of those things where I remember my cousin got the books before I did. And I remember I got all four books because Borders, at the time when I was young, I was like, you know, nine or ten or whatever. And they had this, like, oh, you get all four books for, like, you know, a bundle, basically. And I did. And Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone was literally one of the first movies, I remember perfectly, seeing it as a kid and and just saying to myself, wait a minute, this isn't in the movie. This was in the book. Like, you know, like, so yeah. I It's kind of yeah. comparing contrasting. And, and it was the first, really the first movie where I compared and contrasted the book and the movie in the theater.
1: You're going to think that this is, this is going to make me even older now. Oh. Uh, the first one I did that with was with Back to the Future. I read the novelization <laughs> of Back to the Future after I saw the movie. And then I went, wait a minute, this wasn't. Did you. Th- th- wait, this is awesome. I'm going to keep going did now. You,
2: yeah, but then it's like, then you have books like Jaws. And you see the movie, and you're like, yeah, wow, the book is fucking terrible. Well, then there's that. <laughs> That's
1: why you stay away from that
2: book. Right. <laughs> I mean, looking at Harry Potter though, and just seeing how far it's come, and and just all the books, and uh, I have to say, I think my favorite—I'm not sure if you read the books—but my favorite book, I would have to say, is—I mean, the Sorcerer's Stone was great, but I think that really, I think Prisoner of Azkaban was probably my favorite one because of of Sirius Black and just the whole connection he has with Harry Potter and. And I love the chapter about the firebolt broom and stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. I mean,
1: you we're talking about the books and the movies, but look how far that this has actually come. All the merchandising. There's Broadway plays now. Yeah. I mean, this one of the few. This was one of the first books to ever have that really midnight release kind of fever right. around right. it. So over the course of twenty years, you saw people basically busting down doors of their favorite bookstores. At midnight, bookstore employees had to come to work at midnight like they were video game employees, right. so people that are
2: dressed in cosplay could pick up their favorite Harry Potter book. I mean, it's one of those books, I think this is one of those series where, even when we're older and I have kids of my own, it's like the nine and three quarters platform at the train station is always going to be there, you know, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter will more than likely still be there yep. because it's so popular, because these books are so transcendent and. The fact that, like, you know, I'm 28, and the fact that there are kids who are way younger than me who are getting into these books now, and it's just the imagination that it creates. And, you know, I think that also just that effect, like going into the wand store at, you know, the Wizarding World, a Harry potter at the theme parks, and having that, you know, you get your wand, you have that, like, wind-blowing effect, you know, and you feel yeah. like a wizard, and you're drinking your butterbeer and stuff like that, you know, it's 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 just that, that feeling. You know, I think that when you look at a lot of, Books, and a lot, and such ones, you know, I mean, 90% or something like that of a lot of movies are adapted from books. So when you look at just what was adapted from it, and just everything that involves it, it's literally one of those franchises where you, you really get taken away by just how magical it is and how much it builds an imagination as well. Especially because when you look at books, especially, you know, especially ones that aren't comic related... You have to create your own worlds in your mind. You have to picture what these things look like. You get descriptions like, you know, the staircase, it moves, and they rotate. But you have to picture, like, what do these staircases look like? What do these paintings on the wall look like? You know, what does a, this basilisk thing in Chamber of Secrets look like? So you have to do all these things and create like what these characters look like and even sound like at times as well
1: and what i love about it too especially from the kid aspect and i know i'm sure that my son will end up getting into this at some point when he gets older he's already picking up sticks and waving them around so i i, I kind of know that we're training we're, yeah. we're trending in that direction so but so, I, I love the fact that this series it makes it so easy to pretend to be your favorite character, yeah, so easy. You throw on like a like a blanket or something as a robe or a towel, whatever. Right. You grab a stick in the in the backyard, and you know you pretend, and off you go. It's not you know you don't have to worry about you know getting masks and all this other stuff. No. You can literally be your favorite character in five seconds
2: with stuff that's just laying around your house. And you know one thing I like as well about this is. Again, From a cosplay standpoint, it's really easy because you get the robe and you get like whatever color house you want. So you get yeah. the color scarf. You can get them on Amazon. Or you can still find them in stores and stuff like that. And it's it's cool. You can be kind of who you want to be and, and just pretend and, and just immerse yourself in this world. So and wanna, you can kick it up as much of a notch as you can. Yeah. And you I wanna, so I want to put you on the spot. So I know, like, being serious, like, I, knowing me as a person, I'm more of a I thought I was a Ravenclaw because I, I, I like to consider myself a smart person. But when I look at, like, I'm compassionate, I'm loyal, I'm looking at all this other stuff, I'm really much more of a Hufflepuff, which at the, when, you know even to this day still sounds like a name of a home ec class. <laughs> more than a <laughs> Actually, that sounds a like the
1: teacher that taught the home ec class. Right. <laughs> right.
2: So I want to ask you. I want to have you – I want to dissect the with ems. What are you – you, your wife, and your son, if you got to put yourself in houses.
1: Oh, God. Start with you
2: hard. and then just go down the tree.
1: I, th- I think I've got to be a Ravencroft, only because, yeah, Raven, it's, Raven, it's Ravenclaw. It's Ravenclaw, sorry. It's because of the intellectual thing. Right. Like you said. I don't know about my son. Yes.
2: I mean, he's two. That's a
1: little, that's a little tough at this point because we're still kind of shaping is, his
2: personality. But he is quite mischievous. So he could be a Slytherin, but on the other side, he is very compassionate. I worry times. about so we- that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's constantly headbutting you and and stuff like that. But I mean, maybe a Hufflepuff because he is very compassionate. See, I would say that
1: my wife is probably a little bit more of a Hufflepuff because she's got she's got a very compassionate yeah. edge to her. Maybe she's definitely
2: got the smarts
1: for a Ravenclaw, though.
2: So I would say I would say so. You're Ravenclaw. I would say your son's a Hufflepuff, and your wife's a Ravenclaw. Okay.
1: All right, see, honey, we were made for each other. <laughs> <laughs> In case you didn't already know, uh, man,
2: I, I just I look at like I look at myself, and I'm like oh, I'm Hufflepuff, and it was one of those things where, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I had to learn to like that because I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, I got, I- <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you kept taking the BuzzFeed
1: quiz over and right? over and over again. Like, no! How many times do I have to do this to get what I want?
2: All right, fine. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll just embrace it. How's that? The Sorting Hat's bullshit. <laughs> the Sorting Hat's drunk again. <laughs> this is horseshit. <laughs> that's going to do it for our discussion of Harry Potter. And again, 20 years of magic. It's just... An amazing, amazing thing to see what this franchise has done. And coming up next, it's what we're reading of two new comics to find out which ones they are, coming up next.
1: This is writer Victor Laval, and you're listening to the Down Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, nerds, it's that time we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week in James. You know, last week I reviewed Wonder Woman, Tasmanian Devil. We've talked about it a bunch, the whole crossover between DC Comics and Looney Tunes, and you have stepped into the pool this week. Well, we've talked about this book so much. It's not
1: like we could just let it go by and not talk about it on the show. So, of course, I reviewed the Batman Elmer Fudd special number one from DC Comics, the big Looney Tunes crossover that I think you and I have been waiting for the most. Written by our boy Tom King. Art and interior colors and color covers done by Lee Weeks. Laverne Kindersky does the colors for the rest of the book and Darren Bennett does the letters. Now... One thing off the bat,
2: right away, that I love that Tom does with this book is it's written and Elmo Fudd. Oh, yeah. I've seen his tweets where he talks about, like, you know, he's kind of put some teases of the script, and it's like scene one, interior bar, and it's like, you know, written in Elmer Fudd speak, basically.
1: And it absolutely is, and because Fudd's the narrator
2: for the book. <laughs> Okay. So did you read this in Elmer Fudd's yes, voice? Yes, I did. <laughs> I absolutely, you can't not. When I mean, you see yeah, these words yeah. this way? I've seen previews of, I haven't read the book yet because I, I just have respect of James. I don't want to step all over his review. But it's one of those things where, like, even I read the preview pages, it's like, Bruce Wayne, he's going to be my target.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, kind of what the book is, is actually about, is Bruce Wayne becomes the target. Now, I promise you, I'm not going to spoil this book because we don't do that. <laughs> But that is one thing that we know already is happening. He's hunting Bruce Wayne. Why he's hunting Bruce Wayne is not at all what I expected. (laughs) Really? At all. What Tom did with this, let's just say that it involves a character from the Batman mythos that we all know and have seen recently in a
2: certain piece of Batman media. Now, now answer me this. Is there a few panels where it's like him and Batman are standing at a telephone pole and they're saying, Bat season. No. Fud season. No. Bat season.
1: Okay. Remember how there's a backup story at the end? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. In a certain way. <laughs> now, remember when we were talking about these books how we said we loved how the they did the origins of the, of the Looney Tunes themselves and how they brought yeah. them in and how they made it make sense. What they do in this book is totally different from what they do in the other books and it's so cool to see them this and hats off to lee weeks by the way and the art in this book which is great throughout but especially with what's done with these looney tunes characters in this book which i can't spoil because it's one of those things that as you're seeing it page by page because they actually put a lot of them in this you're going huh no way oh that's who that is oh, that's really cool kind of thing. It's absolutely 100% different from what they do in the other books. And the story is also a lot different than some of the other books as well And that you, you don't expect the story to go the way it does. But obviously, since you know he's hunting Bruce Wayne, right. you know there's a fight scene in this somewhere. And let me just say this. You never knew how badass elmer fudd could be (laughs) until you read this book and and it takes a guy like tom king and again to lee weeks to make elmer fudd such a badass i'm sitting there going damn fudd holding his own against the dark knight wow he's doing some like shotgun kata shit You would not believe the stuff... I don't think that the uh, the Looney Tunes folks have done FUD just so years some of the stuff that
2: he can do, because damn... He's basically like the John Wick version of Looney Tunes. Let me put it this way.
1: When you first found out about this book, if you were excited about it, this book is absolutely 100% everything that you wanted it to be, and then they turn the dial even further and go holy shit, you did that and you made it make sense and you tied it all together at the end and gave us an ending that we didn't expect either? So obviously the way I'm saying this, it should be fairly obvious that you should run out and trip over other people (laughs) to go get this book. Try not to injure anybody inside the comic shop, but you need this book in your life because it's almost as close to perfection as you can get for something like this. Mm. You know, something that's so unique and so different and obviously something I don't think we ever thought we would see in a million years when these were announced. And this one, while they've all been
2: good, this is the one I'll remember the most. And I, I think what makes these DC books, all of them very memorable and very much worth the money is the fact that, you know, you get a lot of books out there that have an added story at the end. It's, Sometimes it's connected to the main story, but a lot of times it's just different and it's separated. It's a different, you know, creative team, stuff like that. And a lot of times, me personally, I'm not really into those for whatever reason. Yeah. But the strength of these books, I read both the main story yep. and the story at the end.
1: And what's funny about this one is, is that you go from the story that they had in the first one, and the second story is 100% pure Looney Tunes, and it's actually a wink and a nod to a classic Looney Tunes and that's, cartoon. And that's
2: why I like it about him too, because in all the DC Looney Tunes crossovers, that second, again, I mentioned it in my Taz Wonder Woman review, Talk about, like, okay, Taz has this new redesign that's cool, but I want to see Taz as I remember him growing up as a kid, or whenever you first saw your first Looney Tunes show. And you get that, and you get that, okay, it's less pages, But I still get that classic Elmer Fudd. I still get that classic Marvin the Martian look. And yet it's enough. Yes. It's less pages but you feel
1: like when it's done that you got enough out of it. And and obviously the issue's a little oversized because of that and that's also a good thing for the price point you're getting at as well. But you don't feel like in those, let's say, eight pages I I don't remember exactly how many it was, but let's say it was eight pages. You feel like in those eight pages even though you didn't get a full issue, you still got enough, you still felt like the story was completed so run out, buy this thing, buy the rest of them too. As a matter of fact, but this one I just was
2: just so phenomenal. Well, James, right now we're going from Gotham City to let's just say the world of the evil dead and the army of darkness, because my book this week is from Dynamite and it's Ash vs. The Army of Darkness. Now, this is written by two guys we met at Tywater Comic Con last month. Of course, we're talking about Chris Sims and Chad Bowers. The arts done by Mauro Vargas and Colors are done by Triona Farrell, Letters Done by Tom Napolitano. Now, I will say this. First off, right off the bat, the one thing I love about Sims and Bowers' writing is they really they really capture not only Ash and who he is just in his dialogue and just how he carries himself, but the whole army of darkness world. If you've seen the second film, it's they capture that really well, what Sam Raimi did in that second film. And they make it funny. And they kind of capture some stuff from the Starz TV show as well. And Ash. I mean, there are there there are lines of dialogue where I was reading this and I was laughing. because I'm like, "Oh wow!" Like he's not just some guy. You know, when you have an, when you, when you have an older character like Ash, and in this book in the series, he's he's a teacher at high school. He's substitute teaching this class. So you have kind of like that person who is older and they're kind of out of touch. But with him, it's, it's funny. He's asking about, you know, okay, who's been using the Necronomicon? This is why he's here. He's investigating this rise of these, you know, deadites, basically, and, and why these things are happening. And so he's like, so he's he was asking these students, they're like, oh, well, we're, uh, you know, we've been going to the library a lot. And he goes, but you're the popular kids. You don't read. <laughs> <laughs> you don't study, you know? So it's really, really funny. So from a writing standpoint, Sims and Bowers do an excellent job of grabbing what makes Evil Dead and the whole Army of Darkness thing, such a fantastic franchise overall. I'll say that the art is not what I expected, especially, again, going off of the cover by Tyler Kirkham, which is amazing. Oh, yeah, And yes. it's just detailed. And it's, this is Dynamite's problem, is that they had these amazing, amazing covers And you look at the inside, and you're just like, "Well, this is not anything near what the cover looks like," and it's sad. Now, do I think that the art is terrible? No. There's points where it's good. There was points where it's decent, I'll say. But for me, there, for example, Ash. Of course, he's missing his hand, and this is a pet peeve of mine. Somebody who has one arm. I want, if you're a writer, if you're an artist, especially, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because this is important for me. My biggest pet peeve in comics when somebody has one arm is they give them a hand to work with, like a robotic hand or something like that. And to me, it's kind of like, well, wait, if you're just going to give them a hand, why have them lose their arm in the first place? You know, if you're not giving them an appendage that's different or unique, you know, it's like, what's the point of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we know he has, like, attachments that he uses and stuff like right. that. Like, obviously, the trademark chainsaw and right. stuff like that. But, but I get what you're saying. It's like, okay, so he's got one arm and you, you give him my hand. I mean, th- you can do plenty with one arm, so obviously he but should be able to do that as well. But, again,
2: it's one of those things where either way he still has ten digits. So it's kind of like he can still do anything, whether he's missing the hand yeah, or not. Yeah, exactly. And the way that the hands are drawn in this book, they're pretty big. I don't know if Huge. They're huge, they're huge size Let's not sugarcoat it. They're pretty yeah. big. And the way that the hands are drawn in this, especially his robotic hand, or his prosthesis, I should say, is drawn in this. It looks like a mixture of an Under Armour glove. I used my work when I played football, and also the of glove, basically.
1: Well, you know what they say, Nick. Big hands, Big panels.
2: <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> so let's see that's that's, that's that's more than three sexual jokes in the first 20 minutes of the show just saying the squares have got to be bigger <laughs> just saying but overall again the, the writing by Simpson Bowers is great again, it really does if you're an Evil Dead fan if you're a fan of Army of Darkness this really is something that is up your alley this is something you sh- that I'm really interested in again from the art it's not bad but I think it could be improved in certain areas. Again, the hands should be a little bit smaller, I think. Uh, the the details, like there's times where you get a full shot of ash, and it's it's looks okay. It looks pretty decent. And then there's other shots of him where you're kind of like, wait, why does he have, look like, like he has eyebrows for eyes, and his hands are, you know, a little distorted, a little bit, a little weird looking. So for, I'm, I'm just going to say this, man. Yeah, the, is the art great? No, but it's not Like, you know, with most books where it's like, oh, the story's so good, but the art's bad, and I I don't know if I can go forward with this. The art's decent enough to where I'll continue with the series, especially because, you know, Chris and Chad do a great job of writing this. So I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to give this a a poll, strictly from a story standpoint. Wow. I'm going to give it a poll strictly from a story standpoint. Because, again, my thing is I will give it a pickup if the story was decent you know, if it was like some inaccurate, not inaccuracy, but just like, you know, oh, it was good here, but it was not the best here. Right. You know, and stuff like that. But it's consistent throughout, and it makes up for the art. Again, the art's not terrible. It's just, you see that cover. I see what you're saying. And then you open it up, and you're just like...
1: Yeah, I, I
2: totally understand what you're saying. It makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, like I'm, I'm just going to say this. It's not like the episode of The Simpsons where Homer's making the outdoor grill pit and he's looking at the box like, oh, all that <laughs> is better. Why doesn't mine look like that? And, you know, it's just a giant mess. Well, we've all been there, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like that. Again, it's, the, the art's decent, but overall this is a pull for me. And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. But coming up next, we're going to dive into the world of Transformers. And let's just say this. The things we do for our listeners. <laughs> That's coming up next. A review of Transformers The Last Night is coming your way. This is John Barber, writer of Optimus Prime, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you knew it was coming.
1: You might as well get it over with. And I say that with all sincerity because it's this week in Geektainment and our full spoiler-filled review of Transformers The Last Straw. I will say this <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's the last night. I'm sorry. I just got I'm that, sorry.
2: <laughs> I, I will say this. Before we dive into the movie itself, I've never been to a movie my entire life. In a theater. Never have I watched a movie. This is even counting the Fantastic Four reboot. Where I'm not gonna say that this movie made me feel defeated afterwards because that means that this movie had some sort of impact on my life which it doesn't but I left the theater going I could go the rest of my life without anything Transformers that's sad I, I that's, mean, I, that's really sad, sad. it's really sad but I mean it's at that point where I'm just like I'm not talking about the comics I'm talking about more about of course the movies where I'm like I don't care about the Bumblebee movie it was at that point where I mean I haven't even had people message me it was just like I talk, I talk about my social media pages, and people are just like, oh, why would you see it? Why would you see it? I'm like, well, it's my job. It's literally yeah. my job yeah. to see this movie. It's, and it's one of those things where if, I, if this wasn't my job, I wouldn't have gone to see this. I would have just, you know, oh, it's a Transformers movie? I'm not going to see it because they're all terrible. And you know what? This is usually the point in this where we tell you what the
1: plot is and all that stuff. What the fuck is the plot? That's what I was just going to say. There really isn't one, and my other thing would be, well, did you see Age of Extinction? Because if you did, pretty
2: close. So... Pretty close to the same exact thing. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that this movie did not know what it wanted to be, and if anything, this movie shows... God damn it, if you're gonna do any other Transformers movie after this, put it on fucking
1: Cybertron! Right! And that's exactly what I was gonna say. So, remember, we talked about this last year. Whatever the hell Age of Extinction blew up the friggin' movie theater we talked about this, where when they were sitting there, when it was Optimus Prime, and what was her name, Quintessa or something like I that? I could give less of a shit. Okay, it started with a Q. Let's just go with that. So when he's talking to her, and they're on Cybertron, and she's brainwashing him, that was the one singular moment in this movie where I was actually
2: paying close attention and going, huh, I'm actually having a good time. When, I, when this movie first opens up, I will say this, the, the medieval scenes, I did like that at the oh, beginning. Oh, well, I dug that, I yeah. dug that, but... And but then, it also had nothing to do with Transformers. Right, it had nothing to do with Transformers, <laughs> because <laughs> next thing you know, you have this King Gadira fucking dragon, and then it comes to find out later, oh, this dragon, it's like 12 Night Transformers that come somehow, some fucking how, without explaining it, ...can merge into a fucking King Kadira. And, and for the second movie in a row...
1: ...Optimus Prime in the third act... ...rides in on the most <laughs> badass Transformer in the movie. Why did we have to repeat that, that to mention, mistake?
2: Optimus Prime, I counted, like two hours. Two, the movie's two hours, 30 minutes. He did not really come into the fold... ...until two hours into the movie. And here's my thing, too. So there's no explanation of why why these Transformers are able to merge to this giant dragon or anything like that. And also, I look at this of, like, this is a movie where, okay, the trailer, you see it, like, okay, there's this young girl. There is this new character. Oh, so they're going to, obviously, turn the keys over to her. One and would gonna, think. And they're going to have, you know, her name, and of course her name's Isabella, and she's played by Isabella Moner. And you think, okay, they're going to make it about her. And they're gonna try to take turn this thing over. Even in the opening, when you have those kids going to the football stadium, you're like, oh, okay, they're gonna do a little Stand By Me thing, something different. At Maybe least. even the Goonies asked right. type of deal. Yeah, you're like, okay, I can understand that. That'd be good because it's different. I don't like that it involves humans, uh, you know. But overall, but it's like okay, you're doing something different at least. Nope. What happens after that? You don't see Isabella for like the good three quarters of the movie after the like the first part, the first act of the movie, basically. And it's all about Mark Wahlberg, and it's all about Laura Haddock's character, uh, Vivian Wembley. And you just look at this, and you're just like, uh, what, what's going on here? And there are times where, with Isabella's character, where you're like, okay, there's a lot of moments in here that feel like, like, did you meant to put these in the first act, or were these because they feel like something you'd see in the third act? Because, like, for example, you see a transformer that sacrifices himself for her, but she's gone. You know, it's supposed to be an emotional scene, but. I have no emotional ties to this thing because, or these, this relationship between them, because it's just through exposition of her saying, "Oh, this pers- this thing's the closest thing I had to a family." Doesn't re- kind of says why, but not really. And then it's just there's just no connection. There's no like, "Oh my god!" Through the whole movie, I see her in this transformer, and then the transformer sacrifices himself, like iron, like an iron giant moment, and I'm sad. You know, this whole time I'm just like, "Oh my god, this is like..." A, a speech or some sort of dialogue or, or action I see in the third act and it's just like multiple moments of that
1: not only that you didn't even give me a 60 second flashback about what happened to her actual family you get we get told about it in five seconds right but you give me 60 seconds of Megatron destroying her family, and then at least you give me some sort of an emotional level to base this off of. You you blow up shit the entire movie,
2: and you don't give me 30 seconds of that, seeing what happened to her family? And the big problem with this whole movie is that this is literally one of the most... If not, this is... No, this is the most unoriginal, uninspired, piece of shit movie I've ever seen in my life. Why? Because... Not only do you have things that look like fucking TIE fighters, and a credit sequence that looks like something oh from The Oh my mummy. god,
1: and then the fighters, the, the, the Empire Flies, which names are escaping me right yeah. now. Yeah,
2: and then you have the, the robot there that looks that's like basically C-3PO. It's in the point of the fact that... It's, it's absolutely C-3PO. Yes, and here's the thing. This movie is so uninspired and literally steals shit, it points it out in like a shitty fourth, breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. Like... You have this one, you know, this Transformer's talking and it's like, it's very C-3PO-ish. And you have another Transformer saying, oh, who is this C-3PO bastard? You know, whatever. And I'm sorry, but here's another problem I have Transformers. Like, I like to swear. You know, swearing is fun. And it's got to the point where like, you know how like in some movies when you have kids in them and they swear because they're young, like, oh, isn't that funny? The five-year-old said fuck. You know, isn't that cute? Yeah. And it's kind of cute at first. But then, the more they swear, you're just like, okay, I'm I'm numb to this. It's not cute anymore. It's like, these are bad fucking parents. Uh, At this point, it's like, oh, look, isn't it funny to have Bumblebee say a curse word or this this robot saying, you know, uh, speaking in ways that we would not expect it to speak? Right. And it's like, no, it's fucking annoying, and it's just making up for the fact that you can't write proper dialogue as well. Speaking about not being able to write proper dialogue...
1: What they did to Hot Rod oh, in this movie is such a miscarriage of justice <laughs> that I would sooner rather he's, watch a super cut of Jar Jar Binks. He's basically Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. It's exactly <laughs> who he is in another rip-off. First of all, where did the French thing even come right! from? <laughs> what the fuck? Are French characters popular in movies now and I missed it? So we've got to... Well, you know, we got to have a French guy in there because... People love French guys, and that'll really get the international audience drawn in. No, where the hell did that even come from? There's no basis for it whatsoever. So, you take a character that's pretty goddamn important in the Unicron story in the right. animated film and in the comics, and you make him
2: completely unimportant and a laugh track throughout your movie. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is just this movie tried too hard to be funny, man. And there's a lot of times, and and looking at a character like Drew, who Carmichael plays and Jimmy, again, it's that side character who tries too hard. He's TJ Miller from the last Transformers movie. Yeah, basically, basically. but less annoying. Yeah, and, and it's just—I mean, I was, I was granted, I was in a theater that had probably eight people in it. But when he was ever on, sc- when he, ever he was on screen, he's talking. Nobody was laughing. You want to know why? Because the dialogue he was saying, when he's talking about, "Oh my God, I'm shot. There's no blood." It's like. I've seen this dialogue over and over again There's movies. Like, again, this... Let me just say, again, this movie is so uninspired. I'm sorry, but why is it... You, you know, whenever you have a movie about some sort of invaders, there's always some nuclear bomb that that is involved in <laughs> right, it. Right, there is always like, a bomb. Like, Avengers fucking had a nuke. Uh, Transformers has a fucking nuke. Iron Giant has a nuke involved in it that plays a role... In, in the, you know, either the destruction of a main character or a saving of the day. It's just, again, it's just stuff we've seen over and over. The same beats over and over again. I will say this. The one thing I did like about this movie, though, is from a cinematography standpoint, I actually could, unlike the other movies, I could see the transformations taking place. I understood what was going on when, yeah. the, when the Autobots and the Decepticons were fighting. Oh, I want to talk about that fucking thing, too. I'm gonna say this again. This movie is so inspired, it turns into fucking Suicide Squad! No, it turned
1: into Batman vs. Superman. Because we had a genuine Martha moment
2: in this before, movie. Before that, let me just get my Suicide Squad point. So, what does the US military decide? Hey! We can't defeat this thing by ourselves. Let's get Megatron to help us out. And then, just like in Suicide Squad, when you're going through the files and you have the you know, the, the, the character bios, same fucking thing. Like, I want Mohawk. Yep. And where you see a trans... A something kind of a fucking Mohawk. And you even see the words on yes! the screen just like Suicide Squad. It's, I'm like, holy shit! And it's like... And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm sorry... I don't care what's going to destroy the Earth, whatever you need. Fucking Megatron has been trying to destroy Earth and rule the universe, basically, for four fucking movies. Yet the U.S. military says, you know what, let's free them, let's give them his friends, they'll help us out. What the fuck? And
1: then they don't. At all. Yeah. I'm going to get back to Megatron in a second, but I can't let this go. Oh, God.
2: So, month, Optimus is
1: under his spell, right? And what breaks him of said spell? Bumblebee's real voice finally, first of all, out of nowhere, by the yeah. way, because they didn't get the right part to fix it. And not only that, but he rips that part out. We see him ripping right. out that voice box that he gets. Right. So, out of nowhere it happens, and then click... Optimus pops right out of it, Bumblebee. I haven't heard that
2: since the war. <laughs> I'm all better now. What? What? Right? And it's one of those things where, and did you notice that, like, when Bumblebee speaks again after that, he goes back to his radio what? voice? Why? And then he has to go back to his normal voice until, like, he dips in and out of it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait. How can you speak in your actual voice and then go back to your non-actual voice and go back to it? That would it? be like if
1: Kevin Conroy talked like Batman... All the time. Right. Because he just couldn't do anything else. (laughs) Like, he just decides to stay in character because this is just who
2: I am now. No, when Kevin Conroy leaves the booth, he talks like Kevin Conroy. Right. And it's just one of those things, man, where this this movie is just such a mess. It's two and a half hours long, and I'm sitting there like... And why? uh, Exactly. There's no point. And Anthony... One character we didn't get to at all is Anthony Hopkins' character, who... You know, he's Sir Edmund Burton. And... Again, his character, the only reason why he's there is to deliver exposition. He's just there to say, back then this happened. Back then this happened. If we don't stop this now, this is going to happen. He's a glorified narrator. Yes. And it's just and it's just one of those guys where, like, I'm sorry, but the scene where he dies and Megatron shoots him, I'm like, uh, let's see, close range, shoots him in the head, but his body's intact. He doesn't get incinerated at all. There
1: should have been no monologue there at all because his face should have been everywhere. Yeah. Here's the. That's another thing. I didn't even think about that. So there are scenes in the beginning of this movie oh, yeah. where you've got this... Um, whoever was hunting the Transformers. TRF, I think their name was. Yeah. So they descend upon... It was with the kids, too. They descend upon where these Transformers are that they're hunting down. You see this Transformer... I think it was Bumblebee... Literally ninja kicking these guys in the face. Right. I'm thinking, if a Transformer ninja kicks you in your face,
2: your head should now be really, over there. Right, and now... Yes, and he's doing that to all those soldiers, and he's, like, kicking them. And that's nothing thing, too. When could Bumblebee, like, take apart his body and somehow morph it back together? Yeah, when did like that Majin happen? Move? And, and when, when he kicks the guy in the face, and he gets back up, up. I went...
1: Fuck you. No. Not a scratch. No. Not anything. No. You should, you would not be getting back up. Maybe you'd live. Maybe. But there's no way you're getting right back up. Not a chance.
2: But, but I, mean, I just look at this movie, man, and I'm just watching it in the theater and, you know, I, pretty much, I'm going to I'm gonna say this, I am I, not this guy in the theater, but I was just texting somebody the entire time I'm in the theater watching this. I want to put this into perspective.
1: You wanted to talk about how you were in a theater with eight people and when that guy was on the screen, nobody was laughing. Yeah. I saw this on Thursday night. Yeah. I was in a theater half filled with kids. Okay. Let's say this movie was targeted to children, okay, like the Turtles movies were, and maybe you need to take it for what it's worth. So let's play devil's advocate with that. <laughs> okay. So there was half full with kids. Even the kids weren't laughing. Wow, that's bad. If the kids weren't laughing... Because you do a little bit of certain humor because you think kids will laugh at it. I get that. And some of the humor in this movie was that. If the kids aren't laughing, that should tell you everything you need to know about this movie.
2: Yeah, man. My thing with this movie is just, again, there's just so many bad things about it. It's just, again, no more. I don't care about the Bumblebee spinoff movie or anything like that. To me, it's unnecessary. You know, it's just, I just don't, I don't get it. And, oh, let me just talk about this, too. In terms of the story, wait, 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 wait. So, Transformers have been on Earth since the medieval times, Yes, yeah, since basically. the Dark Ages, yeah. So, wait, Transformers had a hand in everything that happened in history, yet nobody fucking noticed, and they're like, oh, well, there's these, you know the w- wikis. They're they're you know sworn to protect the identities and the, the mystery of the Transformers, and nobody knows who they are. Slight problem throughout history, and it's even shown in this movie that throughout the years and the decades they crash in various places, yep. and these places are populated places. Yep. Yet nobody outside of the people who's supposed to keep this thing in, in order and to sing a secret about them notices at all, especially when, I mean, I'm sorry, in any war, whether you win or lose a war, especially like in the 1900s, nobody says, yeah, I was fighting these big fucking robots, you know, and they came through the door, and they came through the gate. Nobody! Not not one thing! These things supposed to be like, oh my god, these brand new things that are mysterious. It's like, people know about these things, man. How do these things, you know, this is, secret makes no sense. It's just like, it's hard for me just to say, like, oh, that's just trying too hard. It's like, oh, Transformers are so important because they had a hand in everything in history. Like, that that makes no sense, and it's dumb. It's, it's the ultimate not making sense
1: in a movie, a series of movies that have not made sense. And the thing that just blows my mind is that you pick up an IDW comic yeah. with Transformers in it. And there are so many great writers and artists on those books. John Barber being one of them. You read one of
2: those books, and you—the first thing you should think is, "Damn, why can't they write the movies?" And and here's the thing, too: is this is my thing. This is my thing with the new writers room they got. I am just so uninterested in future films. I don't care. They could have a room full of Joss Whedons, a room full of Kirkmans. I don't care. I'm not interested. I'm done. I'm, I'm fucking done. You have to,
1: at this point, 100% disavow every other movie that's been done up to this point to even have a chance to get this franchise back on its feet.
2: I mean, I'm just literally just thinking of, like, other things that were just wrong with it. There's just so many things that are wrong with it, but we'd be here all fucking evening talking yeah, about Yeah, we
1: haven't even gotten Unicron yet, and I don't even want to get into it. Oh, it's, well, I'm well, just going to get too upset. Well,
2: well we have to. Let's let's do this now. Let's pull off that band-aid. Let's talk about Unicron. I'll just give you the floor. It was completely backwards. Yeah. Unicron's supposed to eat Earth. Earth. Earth is not
1: Unicron! No! That, that doesn't make any sense! Okay? You can I uh, creative license is a thing in movies. I totally understand that. Shredder wasn't 60 feet tall either. Mm-hmm. But yet that ended up being fine in the Turtles movie. But this is a complete 180-degree turn to any possible source material right. that you find on, uh, outside of maybe a, a weird what-if scenario that was in a comic randomly
2: that I didn't read. And, and, and here's my thing, too, is Cybertron, this is, they, 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 the trail, it's like, oh, that thing that's coming towards Earth, that, that's Unicron, it's got to be Unicron. Yes! And you find it, it's Cybertron, but you're like, wait a minute, Cybertron's been destroyed, yet it somehow can still pull itself and I understand that you had that, that, that witch or whoever she again, I don't care about her name. I really don't. Start with a Q. Start with with a Q. Yeah, IMDB it. Well, I don't give a shit. No, I'm talking to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand that she was kind of like the one that was like powering it. But it's like, again, as you said, I was sitting there. I'm like, wait a minute. Unicron is the devourer of planets, not Earth. Th- what the fuck is going on My here? first thing
1: was, is it destroyed or not? Right. Destroyed means Krypton, okay? Yes,
2: yes. Not- Krypton was destroyed. Yes. Yeah, Cybertron, more decayed than destroyed. Detroit. Basically. Which is where they filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> Love our listeners in Detroit. Yay.
1: <laughs> you know, you live there. Anyway, I mean... <laughs> It's just, come on. Yeah. I Come on. You yeah. can't change something that drastic. You already screwed Hot Rod. Yeah. And you're going to do this? I I don't understand what the logic is. And then the end credit scene where we're, where we're again talking about Unicron. I could tell you how to kill it. Uh, you did. Because Cybertron was Unicron. It's dead. Yeah. There is no more Unicron. Otherwise, if that's the
2: case, then Earth isn't Earth. And, and here's the thing, too, is... I, People hate, I, th- I, would, I would think the people least I talk to dislike the fact that there are humans in these movies. Again, put on Cybertron, just make it a thing, give us the Cybertron Wars, stuff like that would be great. This movie tried to crowbar so much of the fact of, no, no, these humans matter, because Kate is actually chosen to be this knight, and oh, this woman is actually a descendant of Merlin, and so she can use the staff and save the world, it's like... There's still
1: people I don't care about, man. Not only that, you're trying to pry from, like we said a thousand times, so many different stories to try and make this interesting because you can't make it interesting on your own. And it's the Transformers. This should be so easy yeah. to make interesting and you can't. And to me, that's the biggest frustration with this whole thing is that you could pick and up almost that anything else and see about, how interesting this can be. Can I talk be?
2: about Vivian Wembley, the, 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 the lead female character in this film? So she's like, a, uh, she's she's a teacher at Oxford, professor at Oxford, she's a philosopher, she's like a doctor, she's like, like various times. She's very smart. She's very smart. But yet in this movie they don't really do anything with her in terms of her being smart because the entire time she's on screen she's just saying oh yeah that thing that's bullshit oh yeah that thing that's bullshit not Not even giving a preference as to why it's bullshit or she thinks the way she does it's like wait a minute you're this very smart woman but yet you're not they're not do- you as a director, Michael Bay, aren't doing anything with her in terms of, oh, let's show why she's smart. Yeah, here, let's show her, hey, she knows about all this philosophy stuff and everything else like that. It's just, it's it's sad. Especially when we a film like Wonder Woman where we saw, hey, this woman is very, very smart. And here's reasons reason showing how smart she is. And, and the funny thing is, is that the, the
1: one empowering moment you give her was is with something that... She has no idea how to use right. no matter how smart she is because no one knows how to use it and no one's even give, been given any real foundation how to use it. oh it's a staff and only descendants can, from Merlin can use it uh great how
2: yeah we don't know and it just sort of happens plus, ha- plus ha- the, the ways they find out like oh Kay has been chosen to be this this you know this knight this protector and Oh, she's descended from Merlin. Like, the way they even explain those, it's like very baseless and like just what? Like, it's one of those points where you're just like, there's no f- really deep factual substance. Of information here, but we're just supposed to go with it. I was seriously
1: waiting for a product placement for An- Ancestry.com, right. where they pulled up Ancestry right. and said, well, here's Merlin right yeah. here. The, here's your leaf. Click on that, and right. here's how we get to Merlin. Right. I was waiting for the cheap product placement to be in there. Of course, they did a little bit
2: differently, albeit throwing a also, family tree on the, hey, also, on the table. Also, here's the thing too, before we get to our, our ratings on this. Um, how do you get baby Dinobots I don't know. Like, like, like. There's no, you know. I don't know. Th- I mean, there is Grimlock, and there's another Triceratops dinosaur, but I, I don't think they can mate. I don't so think so either. How does this happen? I don't.
1: I. I have no idea. Especially when
2: you need an spark an all to to give them life, I which don't, I, don't I don't think don't are like an abundance. I don't think they are either. Um, I, I just. What's your rating?
1: I'm not even sure we need to do what we normally do or, you know, give a quick couple of minutes about why we liked or didn't like right. this movie. I think that 24 minutes is long enough. So my rating is, you know that junkyard that Cade had that he was hiding out in in this movie?
2: Yeah.
1: That, that's my rating. That junkyard is basically my that's rating. True. That's exactly what my rating looks like. If you want to envision what my rating is for this movie, it's that but on fire. <laughs>
2: so Detroit Detroit <laughs> <laughs> So me, me, me wow, our listeners, are like, Fuck you We've no, lost a lot no, of listeners I, you know, of But the thing is I think that li- our listeners in Detroit Are like Oh fuck you like No they're right <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not saying all of Detroit Parts of Detroit <laughs> Right There are some lovely parts of
1: Detroit Just not all of it
2: Auburn Hills and like that's it.
1: <laughs> that is actually really nice. I've been to Auburn Hills, so I, I can attest to that. That is very
2: nice. Uh, my rating for this is, and I'm gonna do what we normally do. I'm just gonna reiterate what I did like about it is, again, the only thing, good thing I take away from this is the cinematography. You can see the transformations. You can see them taking place. You see the moving parts. You understand what's happening. The fight scenes are cleaner. You can see the, th- the punches being thrown and stuff like that. But. I'm not gonna reiterate all the bad stuff because again we'd be here for two hours. Uh, It's not a good movie at all. Again, this is a movie that really just... uh, Again, I can't really give like a two eye of whatever or a three eye of whatever. I'm gonna just follow suit what you did. This isn't this isn't a junkyard for me. This is just this is just one of those things where. I think actually the empty silence kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally at a loss for words here because I'm trying to think of like, well, what could I use as a metaphor, as a visual? Well, aid? as you Phil know, Collins said, there's just an empty I, space. I, can I just, okay, this is the only way I would give this. I would give this franchise as a whole in its future just a giant rubber stamp of, uh, 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 of canceled. I would, I would just do it. I would I would do it. I would stop the series, wait five years or ten, however long, and then just reboot it and make it all about Cybertron. Make it space-related. Don't give us humans. Don't give us anything like that. So, for me, I can't be like, oh, I'm going to give us two out of ten, uh, you, you know, top Anthony Hopkins badly running down a hallway, you know, or something like that. This is just me. It's, a, it's just a rubber stamp of... This thing has gone on far long enough and this is Michael Bay's last Transformers film. This whole series should just be canceled and stopped. One more quick
1: thing. We stopped Turtles after two movies and this franchise got fired. No, no. No,
2: no. We are looking at Power Rangers stopping at one and not getting a second. I mean, second.
1: Let's, I mean you, we could go on with that forever and ever too, but th- that just puts it into perspective for me.
2: Yeah, it, it's enough. It, it, it's enough. I understand that these things make $200 million overseas, but I think now you look at it where this film, I believe, had the lowest premiere it did. For, of any of the Transformers films. I, I'm going to kind of just quickly compare this to a, to a video game franchise, Assassin's Creed. People are burned out. They, they're like, okay, these games are the same. They're terrible. They're not good as you get you know in, more deeper and deeper and deeper into them. It, you know, the same with these movies. It's it just. It stop. Just just stop the madness. Difference is,
1: they're learning. Yeah. We'll see, if we'll, the, see. we'll see if they learn.
2: We'll see with their $800 fucking pack for Assassin's Creed Origins, but that's another <laughs> story. Uh, but that's going to do it for our spoiler filled review of Transformers, which I only think it can call it a review. I think it was just more of just uh, an old school beatdown, I think. It was like Festivus, basically. <sighs> we aired oh, some yeah. serious grievances. Festivus in July, people. Here we go. Coming up next, we're just going to dive into some nerd news and talk about some happy things, some good things. Please do. Like, let's just say for every Michael Bay, there's a Nintendo.
0: This is comic book editor and
2: co-writer Dara Savage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's time to pick up those SNES controllers because it's time for what? Nerd! Nerdy! And James, I know you're excited about one of the games on this list. But first off, Nintendo is doing it again. They are bringing back a more smaller version of one of their classic consoles. Of course, we all know they had the NES Classic last year. And now this year, in September, we're going to be getting the SNES Classic. And it's going to come with a lot of games, including Star Fox 2, which was unreleased. But James, I know there is... A game on here that you and your cousin Sean are hugely excited about and I just I'm just going you the floor.
1: Oh my god. And it's been so it's so expensive on eBay too, it's almost unattainable. I do still have my hard copy of it. But when I saw that they were gonna include Earthbound in this, and people will be like, what the hell is Earthbound? Trust me google it it's awesome i spent so many hours playing and replaying and replaying this damn game i just loved it it was so much fun it was so charming it just it was like a warm hug every time you played it i (laughs) loved freaking earthbound maybe my favorite rpg of all time shut up final fantasy fans i don't care i love final fantasy too but there's just something about earthbound it was just so right. And the fact that they're going to include that in the SNES Classic is like they went to, it's like Nintendo went to the our Classic fans like myself and said, we got you. We know you love this. We know you've been clamoring for it, you know, digitally for Wii ever since that kind of thing all started. Now we're finally going to give it to you in the SNES Classic. And I'm begging you, Nintendo, I'm on my hands and knees. Do not do... What you did with the NES Classic. Please allow more than three of us to buy this thing because the list of the other games, too, blew my freaking mind.
2: Yeah, of course you want to talk about RPGs. One of my favorite RPGs was Super Mario RPG Legend of Seven Stars, and that was one of the best RPGs, and I think one of the best Nintendo games I've ever played because it's Mario, but really, outside of like Mario Paint, This was really Mario as we've never played him before. You know, it's not the side-scrolling, jumping. It's this, you know, kind of sort of quasi-3D RPG experience, turn-based. And I liked it, man. It was really, really fun. Of course, another game that I loved, Secret of Mana, which I think has one of the best just, you want to talk about soundtracks and gaming, one of the best soundtracks in gaming of all time. Of course, you get your classics like Mario Kart, Uh, You're going to get Super Castlevania in there. I'm excited, of course, about Mega Man X. You have Super Mario World, of course, and you also have a bunch of other games, too, dude. I mean, you you have Legend of Zelda in there, so you have your your Nintendo staples. But you also have, I mean, Super Metroid, which I'm very excited about. But there's a game in here that I'm just kind of looking at it, and I'm shocked, kind of, first of all, that it's going to be in here. But I'm also happy at the same time. that's Street Fighter Two Turbo. Yeah, that was that was kind of a
1: shock. But I mean, hey, I, I love the fact that the that they're going to include that, though. I think that that's neat.
2: I mean, you look at this list, and there's going to be 21 games on this thing. So I mean, again, you have all your Nintendo staples, you have your F zeros and stuff like that, which I'm happy about. And again, going to your point of hoping, hopefully, Nintendo does what they didn't do with the NES Classic, and that's just understand demand and don't try to suppress demand because you know companies will do that. They'll suppress demand to create it. They'll, they'll say, "Okay, we're gonna give you three NES classics and just you know to get people you know hype more hyped about them to get sales up." But it's like Nintendo, there is a market for this already. Like this market has been there since the 80s and the 90s. Like it hasn't gone away. There are people who still go to to vi- various video game stores to buy these classic systems. Just to have, and it's kind of weird because you know a lot of these systems they don't have the you, don't, you know they don't have the the auxiliary ports anymore for the TVs. Right. So it's kind yeah. of like there's demand because if somebody can't play, they don't have a TV that you can plug those those cords into anymore. This is their only way of getting them outside, of course, being you know using emulators. And so it's just like I hope that they give more. I, I don't want it to be like. They're going to sell it for three months, and they're just going to shelve it like they did with the classic, basically. You know, make this – just keep it out there. Just keep pumping them out, pumping them out, you know, until everybody has them, until, you know, you see, okay, we've done it for like a year. At least, like I say, at least give it a year to two years oh, of, yeah. of yeah, market, you know, putting it on the marketplace. Because, again, it, there are people where – I mean, these things are going to be back ordered. They're going to be, a lot, you know, sold out everywhere so, getting one is going to be very, very hard. And one thing I hope they do with the SNES Classic that they didn't do with the NES Classic is also make the goddamn cord longer. Like, make it longer than, you know, an inch. You know, if I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Because it's like, that's the problem. I played the NES Classic and my face, because the cord length was so short, was like right up to the TV screen and it sucked.
1: Yeah, that's not an option for. Anyone, I wouldn't think, especially since in, in a lot of entertainment centers, you're standing. That means you're standing the entire time, and that's definitely not good, especially if you're going to be playing a bunch of R- RPGs. So, yeah, make the cord a little bit longer. I mean, we did have the Retron console uh, that people could use that was like the hybrid NES Genesis yeah. type thing. And by by how much those sold, how well those sold, that should tell Nintendo that there's demand for that here. But also... You'd like to think that they they made the mistake with the NES Classic with how they marketed it. They made that mistake already. So hopefully they learn from that and realize that that model didn't work. So if anything, I'd flood the market and see what happens with that.
2: Now here's the thing. Something we didn't talk about yet is the price point for this. This is going to be $80. Nintendo Classic, the NES Classic, I should say, was $60. So... Are you okay with a $20 increase at $80 or are you kind of wishing that they stayed at 60
1: I mean, it's a little high, sure, but I mean, you consider what you're getting. Some of these games are upwards of $50, $60 anyway. Now I know oh, I can just download an emulator and get them for free, okay, do that. But this gives you the console option. You get the actual SNES controller that you can use for this. And it's small, it's portable. I mean, especially for somebody like you who doesn't like clutter, it's nice and small and portable, probably something you could tuck away when you're not using it kind of thing. And the fact that you're getting 21 games, I think is pretty good. And if they somehow announce some sort of expandability for it down the line, especially if sales are good, then that makes it even more of a bargain.
2: Right. And you mentioned the games. Like, again, Star Fox 2 was a game that was never released, and that's going to be part Of this bundle of games, again, of course, you have the classics, you have your Donkey Kong Country, you have your Zeldas, your Marios, and that's is the thing. I love the NES. I had the NES. I did not have an SNES growing up. I had a Sega. But, again, it was one of those things where, like, if I didn't have a system, my cousin had it, so I would just go over his house and play it. There you go. So that's how I got my SNES fix in. And I'm not going to lie, like, I'm kind of shocked by the somewhat lack of third-party games, but I understand. Like, I understand you can't... that the uh, rights to the Aladdin as, you know, Super Nintendo game are probably pretty expensive. You know, so it's all understanding how rights work. So it's kind of like I wish there were more third-party games. I kind of hope that, like, maybe they'll release some sort of an expansion later on for third-party stuff. But overall, it's 80 bucks... I'm fine with what I get with this, and it's my birthday month in September, so I know what I'm getting. And, did yeah. you, and I, now, now, here's the thing, too. If you realize this, going back to our E3 discussion, we talked about how we're now we're both going to be buying the Switch, and now we're going to be buying the SNES Classic. So we're basically buying two Nintendo consoles in one year. Smart. Yeah. Pretty darn smart, especially if
1: you want to put your stamp on the market again and show that you're back. If anybody owns retro gaming, it's Nintendo, okay? So this is a good way to show that you're back. You dropped all this stuff, and you talked about how innovative Super Mario RPG was, and you're absolutely right, and then you couple that with the upcoming release of Super Mario Odyssey for the Switch, which looked like a totally different Mario game again. That's a good way to bookend yourself there and show that you're serious about getting back in the market.
2: And, of course, you also have Atari getting back into the mix, too. They're going to come out with their own version which I know you're you're very excited about. Me again, I love Atari, but I didn't grow up in the Atari generation, so it's kind of like I got my SNES classic. I'm good. Yeah. So I mean, are would you, are you going to go out and get the, get the Atari version as well, or are you just going to go with the SNES?
1: I mean, price point's going to be a big deal, and games. I mean, and Atari's in a unique position here because we're talking about a very very scaled down. Type of game here, We're even I mean, not by not even by NES standards. I mean these yeah. are as pixelated as you get in a lot of cases. So to me, I feel like Atari, if they do it right, could fit a lot of games on theirs, and that could be the key is having a lot of games. Price point, I don't think you can go over fifty bucks, uh, depending on what you have. I mean, if you put the whole friggin' library on there, then then maybe <laughs> we could talk, but. Uh, I think that, I mean, they've already got an app that you can use, but it's a it's kind of a shaky emulator. And, I mean, you tell me where you can find a good Atari emulator, either. They really all suck. So, I think that Atari, if they really want to, can do this. But I was in Walmart the other day, and they have these almost uh, mini-arcade-looking consoles that you can buy that has, like, Centipede or J-Dog oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean... You've got to be a step above something like that that I can get for 10 $15 if I like a couple of games. But if you can give me, you know, Galaga, Dig Dug, Pole Position, Pac-Man. I mean, if you can give me heavy hitters and give me a lot of them then I am in for this, because like you said, I did grow up in that generation, so this is something that I would be clamoring for, and I mean, look at what Atari's doing, they're getting back. They're getting into comics now, doing like heavy, deep comic stories for Dynamite, now they're talking about they're back in the hardware game, so maybe Atari's saying, hey, yeah, we know Nintendo's back, but don't forget about us, we're over here doing stuff too, so I like the fact that, you know, Retro's been in for a while now, why not try and do this now while you could take advantage of it?
2: Exactly. I think with the price point for Atari, I would go less than 50. I go probably 30, 40. And you mentioned the games you can get for like 15, 20 bucks. And what they are, for people who don't know what they are, is it's basically like sometimes it's like a two in one, sometimes it's more than that. But it's basically like a little joystick, basically. And it'll have like Pac Man, it'll have Galaga on there. It'll have like a certain mixture of games. But they're games, again, they're not like knockoff games. They're real games. They're like in the arcades back in the 90s and the 80s. So you can get that for like 15, 20. So yeah, Atari has to kind of make it not affordable in a sense, but just like understand, okay, these are the games you're getting. We understand the the graphical parts of this might not be as good or aren't as good as some of these are because again, my cousin has the Pac-Man version of those like $15, $20 gaming things and it's like I'm playing the cabinet version, basically. Whereas on the Atari version, I've seen Pac-Man on Atari, yep. and it's pretty bad. Yep. So I mean, it, it's just well, one of those things where we'll have to see what happens.
1: 2600 was bad. When the when the 7800 version came out, that it was it was pretty good. And you know, it's, it was almost like you, when you upgraded from Nintendo to Super Nintendo, it was a little bit more of an upgrade. But I I totally get what you're saying. The other thing before we move on that I want to be careful about with this is Atari. Be careful how you construct the controller for this because we know what the classic controllers used to look like. Durability wasn't always the best on some of those controllers, and they were quite large too. So just be careful. I know you're going full nostalgia here, but be very, very careful about what you give us for a controller on something.
2: And you know, James, while we're on the topic of video games, a movie that takes place basically within a video game is Jumanji two. And we got the trailer for that as well this week.
1: Yes, we did. And as a matter of fact, you know, this is the one that stars the rock and Kevin Hart. And if you looked at the trailer, they did a little bit differently. Of course, you know, the classic version was with a board game. Well, they decided to, kind of change it a little bit, make it a little bit more modern to make it a video game instead of a board game where you've got the four younger kids that are kind of sentenced to detention and they got to clean out the basement, they find this video game and they get sucked in and once they do, they become the versions of the characters that they are in the game. So what did you think about that when you first saw that little bit of a change?
2: Well, as someone who is a big fan of the original Jumanji movie, I am actually happy that they did change it up from the board game. And again, because my thing is, is not only is this a sequel, but it's a sequel that comes so many years after the original. So I think making it a board game still, you have to think of just, again, the, the, just a the time frame. I know video games were a thing when the first one came out. But just looking at it now, of like, you know, you're cleaning out a basement and you find a video game. And I think it's more, uh, I think because we're in such a tech culture now... I think it's more believable in a sense. I know I'm using that for a game where kids get sucked into a video game and stuff right. like that. Right. But I think that just from you know kids nowadays, it's like they see a board game, they don't want to play it. But they see bright lights and a video game and they're going to play it. So in a sense, it makes it more believable in a sense. And again, I know I'm talking about the type of movie we're talking about, but I like that change. I think it was very important and I think it's going to help the movie out. I like that, you know, they have these avatars, so it's not like these kids are sucked into it themselves. Right, so they, right. So it's like that change. But here's a, the downfall. of That though is that we've seen these before. We've seen the nerdy kid who is suddenly this bulking, bulging bicep, you know, six foot plus tall get person now. You know, you have, you know, you have the the, the hot girl who is transformed into. A middle-aged man, you know, or, and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? It's they, they turn into the inverse kind of of who they are as characters. And it's like, okay, we've seen this before in a sense. We've seen these, you know, body swap films before. So it's going to have the same things as the, you know, it's not going to be really original in that standpoint. I mean, at this point, I think what can you do with, the, with Jumanji as a, as a property because, I mean, if you remember, they had the Jumanji cartoon right. and it involved the kids going into the world of Jumanji and stuff like that as well. So this really isn't too far from the course. You know what? I liked it. I'm not going to
1: lie. I liked it. I, I think that I've seen a lot of criticism about, oh, you're in, look what you're doing to the source material. And, and to that, I would say, look.
2: <laughs> what source material? <laughs> right, we're, not, we're
1: not talking about decades and decades of comic book history here. We're talking about an animated movie and a movie that was very well done by Robin Williams and company. I loved the original too, but and I'm not saying we even had to do this. Did we, did we need another Jumanji movie? Absolutely not. But these things are going to happen whether we like them or not. So if you're going to do this do the, do it the way you're going to do it. Now, I know that people are going to say, well, what about what you said about Transformers a couple minutes ago? Guess what? Source material and lots of it when it comes to Transformers, whether it be <laughs> comics or those animations, completely different than saying, you know what? Let's do a Jumanji movie, but l- let's do something a little bit different. Let's modernize it a little bit and do it this way. And I agree with you that we've seen the whole body swap thing before, but... I mean, I legit laughed out loud a couple of times uh, I did too. in this trailer. So I think if you're going to do this, you're going to do it with somebody like Dwayne Johnson, like Kevin Hart, like Jack Black and Karen Gillan. This is what you're supposed to do. You get the right people to do this sort of thing, and it can
2: really work. Can I tell you something, though? Like, even though this trailer did make me laugh in a couple of spots... Like, it's called Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Do you have to play Guns N' Roses? Like, we Apparently get it's it. required.
0: Like, we get it.
2: <laughs> we fucking get it. But no, I, I think that, you know what? Is this movie going to be great? I'm not going to say it's going to be a blockbuster by I any mean, means necessary. But could it be, like, a movie where you're sitting home on a Saturday night and you just want to play it on Netflix and stuff like that? I think that's what it could be. Right. You know, I'm not saying this is going to be, like, Amazing, but it's I think it'd be watchable by some sort of sense, you know. And so again, there were parts of it where I did laugh. I'm looking forward to this just you know because it's different and it's an adventure film, you know. So it's right really unique to see what they do with this. Again, there are things in there that we have seen before in previous movies, and and but here's the thing, and again, I hate this phrase of fiery passion. Oh, here we go. The the people who say You ruined my childhood. Hey, guess what? You can go on Netflix now or you can go on Amazon, get Jumanji from 1995, get it on DVD. There you go. Your childhood is not ruined. You you can still uh, watch the original version. Right. That's the thing. that's That's what pisses me off the most is that people, whenever somebody says anything, whether it's a comic, whether it's a movie or TV show, they always say, oh, they ruined my childhood. Like, you can't fucking go back and watch the stuff that you love. There's no rule that says, once a new reboot of something or whatever comes out, you can't watch the old ones anymore. You can watch whatever the fuck you want. Stop right.
1: bitching. Right. Exactly. And it's and it's not like you're forbidden in any way. And it's not like that lessens your enjoyment of the originals. If anything, it should make you appreciate the original even more because of how the reboot's do. And as far as this reboot goes, I think that Maybe great is too high of a standard for something like this. I think right. that the standard is, is it going to be fun or not? Because I don't think they're going right. for great. I, I think they're going for fun. Is it fun that's all I want. or not? And, it, and that's the standard that they have to set. If, if it's going to be fun and funny, then I think that they win. If, if the jokes don't land and it just feels like it's dragging on, then they don't. And we won't know until we get there.
2: Well, I think the problem with some people too is that they think that every movie has to be great. It has to have that certified fresh label on from Rotten Tomatoes in order to be considered a good movie. It's like no, it can be fun. Like there are movies that I like that are bad movies, but they're fun. Batman Suicide Forever. Squad. Suicide Squad. Bad movie, but it's fun, and I loved it. So you know, Batman Forever. Bad movie, but it was fun, and we loved it. That's you know, right. like that's the thing. It, it's just it's just one of those things, man. Where it looks like a fun movie. Am I going to see this in theaters? Probably not. I'm probably going to wait for it to hit Netflix or HBO or something. But overall, it's fun. It's different. Why not, you know? Well,
1: you say why not. And I think that uh, we're going to transition into something that we're <laughs> that is a complete Ugh. 180 from what we were just talking about. And super serious. And that is the Inhumans trailer that just dropped, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, it was shot in IMAX, presented at IMAX, experienced in IMAX.
2: We're all in the IMAX world now. Can I just just fucking say this? Movie studios, TV studios, stop making it as if IMAX is this brand-new fucking thing. IMAX has been around since the 90s, because when I was a kid growing up in Syracuse, New York... We have the Museum of Science and Technology, also known as the Most. They had this new IMAX technology, and they showed movies with it. So, it's not new. It's not different. Right? Like there are movies that were shown in IMAX in the '90s, yep. and they were great. They're of course they're mostly science based, right. but they're still fun. Yep. You know, so I mean, stop. You know, pushing this as brand new technology it's it's been around since like for like 15 or 20 years basically to be
1: fair i've never seen it shoved down our throat more than
2: it was (laughs) in this particular trailer but can i just say this too when your biggest thing in the trailer is this is shot in imax how much in trouble is this property is this project because that's pretty bad that's pretty sad like when remember when walking dead did one of their
1: premieres in theaters or something like that i can't remember if game of thrones did it or not but you didn't see a peep about any of that because you know what? walking dead and game of thrones knew bitch you're gonna go and see this because it's it's game of thrones and it's walking dead this this should be we're marvel you're gonna go whether this is an imax or not
2: Right, and that's the thing is that, of course, for people who are wondering what they're doing, they're going to show the premiere in IMAX first, and then they're going to show it on television, on ABC, where it's going to, of course, air the rest of its entirety. But here's the thing, is you look at just this whole IMAX thing, and you mentioned shows that go to theaters. Doctor Who is another show that has a yeah, lot of its go. big episodes, a lot of its premieres, stuff like that, as part of you know this whole theater movement. And so, again, you don't see, like, shot in IMAX and everything like that. It's like, no, hey, Doctor Who's coming to theaters on this day. Get your tickets now. That's pretty much it. And so in this case, it's like I look at this and I mean, I look at the comments section too, just everything as well. And people are just like, what the fuck is this? Because my first interaction with this whole thing was, first of all, the person who's show this is the same person behind Iron Fist. So that's strike one of me not really being interested in this thing And two, it shows because the bad writings in this. Now I understand it's two minutes, but for the trailer, it doesn't take that long to see overacting, to see bad dialogue being spoken. And it doesn't take long to understand and see, wait a minute, why does this look like something sci-fi would have shown on their television network like five to seven years ago?
1: And I'm, I mean, just the way that they portrayed Maximus and Black Bolt you when know, they're going back and forth. <sighs> it just there was no tension there for me. I, again, like you said, I know it's two minutes. There was just no tension there. I, I didn't believe it. And then you've got Medusa, who j- it just didn't it didn't ring true for me. It just didn't look good. Uh, where the hell is Anton Mount's costume? The, the, the classic Black Bolt costume, do we, like, we were talking about this off the air, does everybody have to have this, oh, I need to be outside of the costume so people will recognize me, um, no you don't, because it's not like Anson Mount, and, and with all due respect to him, it's not his fault, but it's not like Anson Mount has this gigantic body of work, I mean, yeah, was he fantastic in Hell on Wheels, absolutely, he's done a lot of other good stuff too, but, Not everybody's going to go, oh my god, that's Anson Mount. I know who that is. Put him in the damn costume.
2: Yeah, that's another problem I have with a lot of just superhero movies in general. And we see a lot with the Marvel stuff. I understand you want to put a face to these characters. And of course, you know, you're hoping these things turn into some sort of a franchise. But stop. Like, we want to see the full costume. Like, we want to see Black Bolt's mask. We want to see his suit and everything like that. You know, his full suit. And, and that's the thing, too, is I'm looking at this of like, okay, they're showing Medusa, but they don't show nothing with her hair, they don't do anything with, like, with that, and it's just bland. Like, it comes off as bland, it was bland. science fiction.
1: It was very bland. I, I don't understand what I saw, and that's not because I'm not educated on source material. It's because I legit don't know what I just saw. I have no idea... What they're trying to do other than, hey, Maximus doesn't seem to be getting along with his brother. I wonder where that's going to go. And then he ends up <laughs> on Earth because that's where Maximus wants to go in the first place. And, of course, you know, they don't take too kindly to this guy down there. So, <laughs> you know, the cops get involved and all that stuff. So, I mean, you look at this and I'm like, What well, what the hell is, where are you going to go with this
2: now? And, and by Maximus, do you mean Loki Light? Oh,
1: yeah. I, the,
2: we did not even talked about that yet. I'll let you take that. Same Loki, zero the calories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, like like was he great as Ramsey? Of course it was. Ramsey yes. Bolton was one of the best things about Game of Thrones. As hateable as he was, oh my god. But on this, it's like, dude, you're overacting. And I know it's not him. That's the thing, he's a good actor. It's the fucking script he's given It's shit. That's causing him to have to kind of punch up a little bit this dialogue he's been, you know, told to say. And it's just, I, I, it just befuddles me just how Marvel can't just see the backlash that Iron Fist got for its bad writing, for its bad fight choreography. Which, from what we've seen, is, looks the same shittiness as Iron Fist in terms of fight choreography. And... It, 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 they just don't learn. Like so it's just like, hey, you know what? We're this guy. We, hey, the Iron Fist wasn't the best. Let's let's get a different showrunner in here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I guess maybe it was too late. I don't know, uh, but it, it, I, that just seemed like a big gamble to me. I mean, maybe they really, really thought they had something with Iron Fist, and they did not at all. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's hard to be excited about this. I wasn't really that jazzed about it to begin with, if I'm being honest, because. I just think there's only so much you could do with Inhumans. I know there's a lot of Marvel fans that love it, but I thought what they were doing with it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was working, and then they kind of yanked the rug out from under that.
2: So. Is, the, is there, though? Are there really Marvel fans, like a lot of Inhumans fans out there? Like, really? They pretend I, to be. I mean, I'm just saying. I To me, I, I understand the Inhumans are, are popular. The royal family itself is, is popular, but I don't know how big of a fan base they have, you know, I'm not saying they're like, they were guardians level before the guardians movie came out, but it's just like, you know, in humans for a long time. And this is just me speaking in humans feels like the one property that Marvel just doesn't know what to do with it. They were like, okay, we're going to make a movie with it, but then it gets pushed back and it gets pushed back again. And then they get Spider-Man and they're like, okay, we're going to take the Inhumans thing. And we're going to put it on TV. They put it on TV and, it does not look good at all, and it's just, again, it's just one of those kind of properties where I think Marvel's just like, people have been, we've, we, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you've teased it, so you, the cat's already out of the bag, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So it's like, well, fuck, we got to do it. Like, we have we have to do it. We have no choice.
1: And, and because of this, we couldn't get a third season of Agent Carter, which apparently would have been awesome. So uh, let's, That's I've still got to fly in my ointment about that one.
2: Yeah, man, I would love to see Agent Carter get a third season. But, hey, we got on humans and myself, you, and a lot of our people aren't really impressed with what we've seen already. But that's going to do it with our discussion about nerd news. And coming up next, we sat down with Jonah Zhao from Spider-Man Homecoming a couple weeks ago to talk about her role in the film. But, unfortunately, before we could air the interview, we got word that she had been cut from the film. But either way, we're going to air it. Because it was a fun interview and a lot of great things were discussed, including something really, really funny that has to do with piggyback rides. So stay tuned. Our interview with Jonah Zhao is coming up next. This is Steven Wacker with Marvel Animation, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy
1: Podcast. Well, who isn't excited for Spider-Man Homecoming to come out in theaters on July the 7th? And there's, quite frankly, a lot of mystery surrounding her role in the movie. But we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. It's Jonah Zhao. Jonah, how you doing? I'm doing well.
0: I'm, I'm excited as well about Spider-Man coming out.
1: Well, you've been talking a lot about it. As a matter of fact, I've seen you say in previous interviews that fans will appreciate some of the canon and the callbacks to the old Spider-Man comics. So were you a Spider-Man fan before the role, and did you do a lot of prep work to prepare?
0: I've always been a fan of like superhero movies, and like I've loved the previous Spider-Man films that um, like Sony did, and so, yes, I was definitely a fan before. Um, I don't think... I I didn't know some of the nuances in terms of like the canon and the comic books. And so that was something that was, that was cool to be part of. And in terms of preparation, I don't, I wouldn't say it was more than some other projects that I've done. And um, I was really lucky. Like one of the people I got to work with was Mercy Tomei. Um, And I I couldn't have had a better experience. Um, And she's been someone who, I've looked up to and respected ever since, like seeing like my cousin Vinny <laughs> when I was younger, and uh, she actually, I think, helped cast me in my role, which was pretty cool. Um, a fun fact. Uh, so yeah, it was just um, working on Spider Man was just a great experience um, from beginning to end.
2: She was pretty badass in that court scene, my cousin Vinny, wasn't she?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and she's yeah, she's someone who is just so sweet and encouraging and like sometimes people say, Hey, uh, it can be disappointing to meet these heroes or meet people you respect but I have been very fortunate in my career not to really experience that. <laughs> <because laughs> i am always pleasantly surprised by how some of the most successful people that I've respected for so long, um, like I see why they've been as successful and awesome as they as they are.
2: <laughs> exactly. Oh, and speaking of that success, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been around for almost 10 years, so what's something you feel your character in Spider-Man Homecoming brings to a universe like the MCU?
0: I can't really reveal too much about, like, my character name or the background behind my character, but what I can say is I, um, my character, one of the actors my character interacts with which is Murta Tomei, so I am allowed to say that, I believe, but unfortunately I can't, I can't say anything beyond that in terms of my character.
1: Ah, the plot thickens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's going to be, like, an amazing film, and, um, you know, fans are going to get to see the Spider-Man that they fell in love with during Captain America Civil War. Um, So it'll be a very epic movie, and I I know um, I'm, I'm... I'm very confident it'll be the best
1: Spider-Man movie to date. <laughs> wow, that's big praise. Big praise. But, you know, you've actually... you said You yes. were fan of, You said you were a fan of superhero movies. You've actually been around a lot of superheroes lately. I mean, you were in Gifted with Chris Evans, <laughs> also Keeping Up with the Joneses with Gal Gadot, and now Spider-Man Homecoming. So yeah. have they given you any advice, or have you learned anything from them about jumping into this comic
0: book world? Not specifically about... The comic book world, I would say just in the way they would, they carried uh, themselves on set and just how they, they were such great collaborators. Like, for instance, Gal, like, um, I remember when I was shooting Keeping Up with the Joneses, I was in the green green room and it was raining outside, so we were all in there, like, eating snacks and everything. And I look up and there's, you know, I'm, like, in the green room with John Hamm and Zach Galifianakis, Gad Badot. Isla Fisher, Mary Beth Moore, and just all these amazing actors. And, you know, I had this like, like, first I was like, oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Like, man, like, this is an amazing room to be in. Like, do I, like, should I even be here? And then my second thought is, like, what I would tell someone else, like, an up and coming actor would be, you know what? Like, you were cast in this. They wanted you here and you belong here. And I think for them, I always felt like, they own the space that they were in and the like. for instance, gal, she just, she owns it. And she, she knows she deserves to be there. She knows how hard she's worked. And I think that was a good reminder for myself to really appreciate the journey and to be like, yeah, like, I fucking deserve to be here, <laughs> just like everyone <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Oh
2: man, but you know, of course, in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Peter is being mentored by Tony Stark. We see in the trailers. So, Jonah, if you yourself could be mentored by an Avenger outside of Spider-Man and Iron Man, oh, who would you choose, and why? Ooh,
0: that's a great question. Um, I'm. I mean, I might have to say Wonder Woman. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little biased, though, because uh, I, I've i already gotten to work with Gal, and I have, like, I love Gal. So I would probably say Wonder Woman just because um, she just, she believes in something. And she, she knows what she wants. She believes in something, and she just goes for it. You know, she doesn't second-guess herself. Um, she trusts herself and her instincts, and she commits a hundred percent. Um, and I think sometimes I, I as Jonah have a tendency to kind of overthink things. Um, so I would say just how, um, she's so laser focused like that and cause she's a badass fighter <laughs> and yeah. I grew up doing like some martial arts and different types of martial arts. And, um, so fighting has always been something that's been like fun for me.
1: I think we're all kind of biased for gal at this point yes absolutely we're talking to jonah zhao of course from spider-man homecoming which will be hitting theaters on july the 7th now jonah i was reading on your imdb that you can piggyback Mm -hmm. anyone up to 300 pounds is that true and did that happen on set at any point um i it's
0: happened on some sets before yes uh and actually, it's 330 pounds. But
1: oh, like oh. moving up in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've done it for, like, for instance, when I was on Hallmark Home and Family Show. I carried one of, um, like, an ex-football player. But he was, like, I think he was only, like, 260 or so. Um, but I got to 330 because a while back I carried two guys. I could piggyback two guys and their combined weight was wow. 3.30. So it was an ex-boyfriend of mine and his friend. And so um, that's something that I've used to actually uh, raise money for different organizations and charities, actually, <laughs> where um, a long time ago, I remember uh, I was on a lacrosse team and we were fundraising for um, the global lacrosse team. And so we were on, fan- like we were, on third street promenade in Santa Monica. And we were trying to find different ways to get donations. And I was like, Hey, I would walk up to a group of people. And I was like, Hey, if I can give anyone in your group, a piggyback ride, will you donate $10 towards this organization? And I got a lot of people that I think whether they just thought it was entertaining or just didn't believe me and wanted to, like, basically I would bet them and I never lost. <laughs> so, um, that was fun. So I, I got to give piggyback rides for, um, various causes and organizations
2: i think we have to get Jonah a shirt that just says do you piggyback bro <laughs> <laughs> wow. yeah
0: um, i can describe as a as an ant because I'm, I'm on the smaller <laughs> side but i'm fairly strong i guess
1: <laughs> well now we need to get you an ant man next so we'll we'll throw that right out <laughs>
0: And
2: and Jonah, James mentioned some of your other work before, but you also did some Vine videos too. So even though Vine is now gone away. (laughs) 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 Yes, we like to do some deep diving here. Uh, (laughs) What's an idea that you didn't get to record on Vine you maybe hope to record in some sort of fashion
0: later on? I I wanted to I was thinking about doing like a segment on like uh, giving piggyback rides to different like celebrities. <laughs> yes. Well known. Yes. Uh, people were just a short clips of like just different types of piggyback rides, um, and I don't think that a lot of people have experienced a solid piggyback ride. <laughs> and that I can deliver. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. So here's a question. Here's a, here's a here's a follow-up. Outside of Gail Gadot. What's your dream piggyback ride?
0: Uh, like, like giving someone? Yes. Um, maybe I would say the Hulk in in his like Hulk form. <laughs> just because I want a challenge. I want a challenge. I think Al is pretty light. <laughs> I don't think she would be as much of a challenge.
1: Hulk like need ride kind of to awful. Avengers Tower. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or maybe, or maybe a couple people, like maybe, like maybe Superman and Supergirl at the same time.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. Making it a family affair.
2: Very the, nice. The, right, of,
0: exactly. Exactly.
2: The lesson of today, kids, never skip leg day.
0: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually, that's funny that you said that. That's actually how I discovered that I kind of had, like, slightly <laughs> like, freakishly strong legs, was in gym class, in middle school, like... There was the, the leg press machine. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It was like, yeah, where you kind of push your legs out. And I think the machine maxed out. At, it was like three or 500 pounds. Jesus, but I could do like wow. 15 or 20 reps, the highest weight. And like I thought that other people could do that. But, no, I don't think other people <laughs> in class could do it. And, um, yeah, I, I found out that that was unique. Because I didn't, I didn't know that that that's, was uh, like a special talent before.
1: That's insane. <laughs> That's borderline insane. That's so awesome. Now, we we, we we know that Marvel's very secretive when it comes to their surprises and their upcoming MCU reveals. So, without spoiling anything, how are you mm-hmm. hoping that fans react when they finally see your secret on the screen?
0: I guess what I can say is I hope they're moved. Um, it's uh, one of the um, things I get to be in uh, is it's on the emotional side, and so I think, you know, I think a lot of people go into a, watching a superhero movie not expecting to, like, feel as deeply or be as vulnerable, um, but as we've seen in a lot of really great superhero films that come out, like, um, I recently saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right, that was the the most recent one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I, when watching that film, like, I was excited, I was Scared. I like got teary-eyed multiple times, and I think what I hope um, fans get to enjoy through Spider-Man is like the whole like gauntlet of emotions. So it's not just like oh, exciting and action, but um, that they really think and feel in a really deep way, and are really moved by the film, so that um, it's an experience that will last them for a long time to come.
2: And, you know, when you're on set, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned on set. And so when you're on the set of Homecoming, what's something that you took away from your time on set that you're going to be carrying forward into your future projects?
0: So something, another thing I really respected about Marissa was she, um, almost every project she's on, she um, has her acting coach, her on-set acting coach with her. And you would think after, you know, for a lot of people, I think they would be surprised that she still has a coach on set, uh, despite winning, you know, winning it off, like winning so many awards and just having such a prolific career. And I think what that taught me was how important it is to be a lifelong learner, that no matter how good you get at anything, that you can always improve, that you're never finished in terms of whatever endeavor you're pursuing, whether it's acting or engineering <laughs> or being a lawyer, that you should... Always, instead of being a know-it-all, being a learn-it-all. And I think for me, I pride myself on being someone who's always willing to learn and um, to not be stubborn and thinking I know everything. And I think that was something that was really eye-opening for me. And I really respected that about Marissa.
1: Well, since that was some really good advice, let's give you another good piece of advice. Make sure you get your tickets for Spider-Man Homecoming, which is going to be in theaters (laughs) on July the 7th. And hey, Piggyback a friend along with you, why don't you? It's Johnny Zhao. Thank you so much for joining us this week.
0: Thank you guys so much.
2: Thanks, James and Nick. And James, that interview was so fun to do a couple weeks ago. And I got to tell you, I've never talked so much about piggyback rides in my entire life.
1: I got to tell you, I never really thought that we would get that much piggyback ride knowledge in one show or ever. But I mean, I got to tell you, pretty funny. And it's almost something that I kind of have to see it now. I have to see it done because it's not that I don't believe that she could do it. I just think that that would make for like one of the best videos ever.
2: I just want to see a version of Cash Cab called Cashback, where she's basically has people on her back. And she's giving yes. piggyback rides. And she's asking her, and she's asking them questions. That'd yes. be hilarious. I like that. And here's the thing, too. Speaking about her character, which of course was cut from the film, we right. don't know why her character was cut, but. How much more intrigue does this add, knowing that, hey, her character has been cut from the movie, but who do you think she could have been? Do you think they're saving her for a deleted scene? Do you think that maybe she plays a bigger role in the MCU? What do you think is going to happen?
1: Here's the deal, man. It could be anything. And I mean, if you're sitting there saying, well, she was probably cut because she wasn't important. Well, Rogue was cut from Days of Future Past, and everybody loves Rogue. I don't think we're going to get a Jonah Zhao cut of Spider-Man Homecoming when it comes out on Blu-ray, necessarily, but... Because she was cut from the movie doesn't necessarily mean she wasn't important. And having not seen it yet and seeing all kinds of rumors about all these villains that might be in the movie, she could have ended up being a villain. And they just decided, look, we've got too many. We need to cut somebody. And she drew the short straw. And sometimes that just happens. But when the Blu-ray does get released at some point, we might finally get that mystery solved.
2: She's such a... Awesome woman. She's funny and she's a girl. She's a really good actress. So I hope that we get to see who she is. I'm really interested when we watch the credits if her name is still in there and if it's revealed of who she is. Because you know me, man. We live in this world of technology. I'll be in the theater. I'll see that character name. And I'll be like, okay, she's oh, she's this person. You know. I mean, who right. knows. Remember how long we waited to find out who Jenna
1: Malone was supposed to play in Batman vs. Superman? We had to wait all the way until the Blu-ray release, and then we found out that, okay, yeah, it wasn't Barbara Gordon after all, even though she'd made a hell of a Barbara Gordon, but that's another discussion for another day, but that's the kind of thing that this has been happening lately. It's not like it used to be where you cut somebody who goes, man, they weren't that important anyway. That's not necessarily the case anymore. No. So you can't just push that aside and and think that. So the to me, it almost adds more intrigue than it than it lessens it.
2: And it does. And especially because, you know, it's kind of something it's kind of really negative that some studios do sometimes is they'll cut a scene just for the D V D. They're like, oh we're gonna cut this because it's an extra thing we could sell for the DVD because of the deleted scenes and stuff like that, special features. So I hope it's not the case because I, I hope that, you know, when we do see this movie that, and we do hopefully see the scene with her in it, you know, in the film later on, as the DVD comes out, I really hope it's not one of those things where like, man, why did they cut this? Cause it was such an important scene, you know?
1: And it could have been multiple scenes. We don't even know how many what? there were or how important her role was, or I guess they didn't feel it was that important if they cut it. But it's one of those things where it's it's we live in a world now where you just don't know, and you make a good point. They, they might be doing this to give us a reason to go out and buy slash rent the Blu-ray or DVD or something like that, because that's added revenue in their pocket on the back
2: end. Yeah, man, so we'll have to see what happens with her character going forward. But, hey, guess what? That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks for joining us, just for taking time out of her schedule to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming with us a couple weeks ago. And, hey, if you want more of us during the week, if you want more news during the week, be sure to hit up Facebook, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at arm.
1: I'm at James Ace Witham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. All this information can be found on our website as well, down nerdypodcast.com. I mean, you can buy some cool items from our Amazon store up there. You can find out even more about us, even more about the show. Tons of ways to listen as well and download the show as well. If you want to download the show and take it with you on your mobile device, you can do that a lot of different ways at Nerdypodcast.com.
2: And as always, pass Save safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics.